millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to the History Today podcast for September 25th, 2012. In this episode... How big and how bad was the British Empire? In the October issue of History Today, Bernard Porter takes a long look at the British Empire and discovers that Britain's reach was neither as great as once thought nor as pernicious as some historians argue. He talks here to Paul Lay. Bernard, um, the term British Empire... Can you tell us something about the origins of that? Because it seems to have been with us forever, but that's not actually true. Yes, uh, the, 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 um, the word empire, uh, you know, with reference to the British Empire, was really not used before about the 1870s or 80s. Uh, before that, people talked about the colonies, but didn't think uh, about of the empire as being um, you know, a whole, uh, a system on its own. And the words that derive from empire, like imperialism and imperialist, uh, were more often um, applied to other things than British rule overseas. If uh, the word imperialism was used in the first three quarters of the 19th century, for example, it was usually applied to one of the Napoleons of France, Napoleon I or third. Um, the, 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 uh, there have always been empires in history, of course. In fact, as uh, John Darwin says in his new book, it's the default position of history rather than uh, an exception. And, uh, but these empires have taken very, very different forms in, uh, uh, in different parts of the world. The one that we usually uh, refer to when we were talking about our empire, when the British, that is, were talking about the empire in, in the um, 19th, 30th, 20th century was the Roman Empire. That was the big pattern. That was the one that they were talked about at school, but mainly because Britain had been subjects of it earlier uh, before. Uh, but you could refer to lots of different kinds of organisation. Um, the origin of the word itself is from an at- a Latin word, imperium, which, uh, um, if I remember my school Latin uh, correctly, is associated with word with, with uh, ideas of control or power. And it's, it's those associations that really this article was intended to try and uncouple the idea of the British Empire from, because I don't think it was so controlling or so powerful or, or, or um, so able to do what it wanted, um, as uh, the word imperial implies. So one of the things they're trying to do by talking about empire is to give it a unity that actually it lacks. They're trying to give it that sense of a big, strong, singular entity. But in fact, the British Empire was not that at all. It was actually marked by a great deal of diversity and variety. Yes, it was enormously various. I mean, the, the, it was, it was um, accumulated in many, many different ways for many different motives um, in different parts of the world. There are at least four or five very, very different kinds of empire included within uh, the 
term British Empire. And uh, it wasn't, as I say, until late in the 19th century that people started talking about the British Empire and imperialism. And it was people, I think, generally on the imperialist right of British politics who uh, um, uh, wanted um, Britain to become a great power through the might of her empire, but usually were aware that that wasn't happening at that time. And therefore, we're always seeking to, to uh, strengthen it in order to make it a proper um, superpower, if you like. Yeah. And there was always a tension, I suppose, that between what we think of as the early empire, the 18th century empire, which is essentially mercantilist, and then we have this very, very commercial empire that's based upon the concept of free trade. And there was, in the 19th century, which is when we think of the, the high point of the British Empire, there's a great tension there between these two concepts. Well, yes, there is. I mean, there's um, first of all, um, the you know, 19th century liberals in particular uh, believe that Britain was no longer imperialist because she was not mercantilist. Um, the... the, the um, uh, idea of empire in the 18th century, as you say, had been associated uh, with, with uh, you know, tariff zones and areas and, and restricted trade, uh, so the colonies could only, for example, exchange goods with Britain, with the mother country. Uh, and then that was all freed in the, around about the middle of the 19th century, uh, with the repeal of the Corn Laws and, and, and uh, the Navigation Acts and all the rest. And so Britain... Uh, didn't put any kind of regulate or very little regulation um, on her trade at all. And because uh, colonialism, as it was usually called at that time, had been associated with mercantilism before, uh, it was sort of assumed in the 19th century that, the mercantil that, that, that once the mercantilism had gone, the imperialism went as well. And I think I quoted my argument in, in, in my, my article, Richard Cobden, as... as, uh, as making a, a clear distinction between imperialism and free trade and believing that, in fact, free trade uh, or the free market was an essentially anti-imperialist thing. It's exactly the same sort of thing that, that the aficionados of, of uh, the free market and globalisation claim today. And in both cases, I think it's misleading. Um, towards the end of the 19th century, there were some imperialists who, who uh, led just after the turn of the 20th century by Joseph Chamberlain, who, who, who wanted to bring mercantilism back um, effectively in order to strengthen the argument, the, the, uh, the empire as, as a structure, as an institution. Uh, but they failed. I wonder, Bernard, if you could just, just for those uh, listeners who are unaware, haven't come across this term before, haven't had it defined, exactly a, a short definition of what mercantilism actually is. Well, mercantilism is based on the idea uh, that if, uh, um, if you, if, 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 uh, um, it's based on the idea that a country has to really keep its wealth to itself, all right? So that if you are paying silver or gold or whatever out to another country in order to buy goods, for example, then that is a, a net loss to you and a net gain for the other country. Uh, and so the way to... Uh, control this is to have markets that are owned by you so that the wealth only goes between uh, 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 um, you know different parts of your of your of your own polity um, the 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 um, the fault in that, which was pointed out by Adam Smith, among other things, is that there isn't a fixed amount 
of wealth in the world. And in fact, that if you if you pay money, it can generate more wealth. And if if other countries be, become wealthy, it isn't at your expense, but can be to your benefit because they will buy things from you. That's very clear. Um, you mentioned Joseph Chamberlain there. Um, mm -hmm. I suppose that, as, as, as well as being uh, Lord Mayor of Birmingham, as well, he became this 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 anti this, this anti imperialist figure in a way, um, because he he wanted a different kind of relationship and one that harked back to the 18th century, I suppose, in terms of Britain's relationship with its colonies. But by the time that he becomes a significant figure in British politics. There's also a sense of decline, that the, that the high point of the British Empire has passed. And yet this is the point, around about 1897, I suppose, Diamond Jubilee and the Boer War that comes a little bit later, that a lot of our ideas, public ideas about what the British Empire are, that's where they actually stem from, the imagery. Is that correct? Exactly. I think, I think, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, that the the uh, idea of imperialism of the British Empire uh, were, were and 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 this um, sort of arrogance that a lot of um, you know, Brits showed in the world and in Britain uh, uh, and the marching up and down and the and the wonderful displays and the jingoism and so forth in a way um, had underneath them the realization that Britain was declining and and so it wasn't a sign of strength but a kind of reaction against perceived weakness. Yeah, because um, the other thing is about, and I suppose this is where we should finish really, is that uh, Britain gave up its empire in a fairly small space of time. And yet actually, I think it's a point you make in the article, that some of the worst atrocities associated with the British Empire actually occurred rather late in the day. Yes. And that would be Mau Mau, for example. Yes, well, I'm thinking uh, about the atrocities against Mau Mau in, um, in Kenya in the of 50s. Course, yeah. the, 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 um, again, I think that it was uh, in response to, to it's in response to nationalist movements. Uh, it was in response, response again to the even more perceived weakness of Britain. And it was a kind of, if you like, if you want to see it in these sort of psychological terms, uh, it, 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 it was it was a kind of irrational you know, kick back against against. Uh, uh, um, you know, the dangers that seem to be threatening the British Empire. It is true, but I, I, I wouldn't say actually that most of the atrocities uh, were, were at that time. It's amazing how atrocious the end of the British Empire was, and that's sometimes covered up uh, by, uh, it was covered up by British politicians at the time. We didn't know about the uh, Mau Mau atrocities, or most of them, uh, until very, very recently. Some very good work that's been done on it recently. Um, uh, with the result, incidentally, that, that many of the t descendants of Mau Mau detainees, or maybe even some of the older detainees themselves, uh, are, are um, suing the British government for compensation, and, and, and uh, quite rightly, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, but the, um, uh, the, the there, you know, there were lots of atrocities then, but there were also atrocities earlier on, which again were covered up from the British public. Um, I mean, the obvious ones, uh, and very often, actually, you, you find atrocities on both sides. Um, I, I read a thing in the paper today about, about how uh, some United Nations organization has been listing atrocities made uh, by um, the Syrian opposition in Syria. Uh, today, you never get atrocities just on one side, and uh, the the uh, um, Indian mutiny, for example, is uh, a very good example where the, uh, 
grotesque atrocities on both sides. I, I suppose the, the, what, what you have to say there, though, is, uh, I, I don't know this is, if this is the right way of looking at it, um, uh, but atrocity from a position of power is probably more blameworthy than atrocity from a, from a position of weakness. And I think it's a very strong point you make during the article that an audit of an empire not just the British Empire, but any empire, is a complex one. What makes it even yes. more difficult, I think, about the British Empire, and this is the point you're making, is that we're still fairly close to it in historical terms. And so it's very exactly. difficult. Exactly, and, and that gives rise to feelings. And, and I would not be at all surprised if, if, um, if my article you know, gives rise to, to some objections and criticisms. Uh, but, but, but I think probably it will be both from anti-imperialists and pro-imperialists. I, I, I have, um, I mean, I'm quite old now, and I, I was uh, involved in the anti-imperialist movement in the 1950s and 60s uh, politically, and I've always considered myself to be an anti-imperialist, but as a historian looking back, I, I, I try to understand these things rather than just uh, condoning or condemning. Well, it's a fantastically stimulating article, and um, it's well, very worthy of being our cover story, so uh, thank you very much, Bernard. Our thanks to Bernard Porter, whose book, The Lion's Share, A History of British Imperialism, is out now. You can read his article, Cutting the British Empire Down to Size, in the October issue of History Today, which is out now. Also in this issue, The War of 1812, A Mystery in the Bayer Tapestry, The Anniversary of Agincourt, and James Bond at 50. You can also get this issue for your iPad, Kindle Fire or Android tablet by visiting www.historytoday.com forward slash app. Finally, you can listen to previous podcasts and comment on anything you've heard by visiting www.historytoday.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening.